folks. Welcome to the next episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. We're back again this time with Chase Busenbark, and we're talking more about the different aspects of selling your business, how to get the most for it, kind of understanding that process. So as you start working on your exit strategy, which we talked about in the last episode, then you'll have a good understanding of the things that you need to start thinking about. And in this episode, we're going to get into the details of the sales process. Um, what, are the, what are the steps look like? How does it compare to something like selling a house, selling a car? Uh, how long does this take? Uh, there's documentation, lots of things to get into. But Chase, I really appreciate you coming back and, and uh, enduring our enduring my questioning and my inquisition for a, another episode. And um, I think we had some really good information in the last episode. Looking forward to diving into this one. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Ed. I appreciate it. So as we get into this whole process of selling a business. Um, it's not as simple as selling a car. Uh, I think it's probably not even as simple as selling a house because uh, it seems the the, the, the example, the instances where I've talked with owners about this and I've been, been in around the peripheral of some of this with some clients, this is a process that takes a while. How long does it take to, well, first off, what do those process steps look like? There's some things I know you go through on a regular basis to to kind of get ready to list the business. And then there's the listing and all the other stuff. What are what do those process steps kind of look like in a in a general sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you know, in the first podcast, I think the initial thing is is having that purpose and why are you selling? That's the first question, right? But yep. beyond that, it comes down, you know, to a financial standpoint of how how. How's the business doing? Is it healthy? What's the gross revenue? What are the profits? Um, what percentage of that profit, you know, is actually is profit? Uh, because a lot of, a lot of buyers are, you know, they've analyzed a lot of businesses before typically just jumping in and purchasing a business. So buyers, I would, I would tend to say typically more educated than, than what sellers are because they're the ones that are thinking about spending all this money and Buying a business. So, with that being said, um, I think the first steps outside of you know the initial decision of selling are just the preparation of having those financial documents, and that's to look at the business from a broad overview of the actual profit and loss statements that are generated from the business, and then also the tax returns. Those numbers should generally look pretty similar over the last three to five years. On the smaller businesses, um, generally three years is, is adequate. The larger the business, buyers tend to want to see more revenue trends. So it's not very uncommon to, to now start getting into those five-year trends. And especially, as you know, with COVID just taking place, I mean, it's really thrown a curveball in the entire business uh, cycle and process of what are businesses worth. Sometimes, it, you know, it's increased some businesses, and it's very – decreased other businesses. So um, you know, profit and loss, a, a uh, tax return, balance sheet, um, you know, whether if they have real estate and if they have an appraisal, um, and then what equipment do they fill out or is included in the business, and what do you feel like that market value is today? What that allows me to do is kind of analyze the business from an evaluation standpoint of three or four different methods analyze it. All right. And we're going to talk in a, in a future episode about the, the the techniques of business valuation and what those those factors all look like. But to get to that point, there's a lot of documentation a business owner's got to have. And you talked about 
financial statements and tax returns, and you talk about the amount of years in the past are, are related somewhat to the size of the business. Um, is there kind of a rough break point? Uh, let me back up. Typically, three years is kind of the minimum, right? Three years of monthly profit and loss statements, three years of balance sheets, three years of tax returns, and preferably that information has not been just pulled together by your in-house bookkeeper or by your spouse. Hopefully it's been looked at by a CPA of some form to kind of do sort of a almost an official blessing of it, right? Almost a semi-audit in a way. It is correct. So uh, more times than not, I'll take those profit and loss reports or the tax returns that are given to me from you know the current CPA or the business owner, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of normalize those financial statements. So I'll go through a lot of the expenses and say, what well, you know, what is discretionary, what's not discretionary, are there any addbacks? And that's always something that a business owner wants to know is prior to me even giving, they give me the financials because you know. The first topic is I try not to pay any more tax than what I have to, Chase. So that's the most important conversation that they have with me, Ed, right off the bat because they want their business to be worth as much as possible, and I understand that. And that's through that normalization period. Going a little bit deeper on what you said, you know, hopefully it's not – hopefully it's – these are documents that are are factual. Not only – um, you know, are we more times than not a lender? I'll fill out a, a 4506T form and have the seller sign this. And this actually gives the lender authorization to pull the tax returns from the IRS to know that it's been filed. And these aren't fraudulent PL statements or these aren't fraudulent tax returns. So they're, they're actually taking that a step further to pull those from them. It was interesting talking with Aaron Crowley about selling his business. He was astounded at how much detail the lenders got into, um, and, and all the, the, the cross checking to make sure everything lined up, all the analysis that was done, not just to value the business, but to validate the information he had given. I mean, he had been in this, he had owned this business for, I think over like 20 years or so. And, and for the whole time, he had, you know, monthly financial statements. He had an outside CPA looking over all these. Everything was all, all, all above board and, 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 and straight there. But even with all of that, he had, he, he said they went through a phenomenal amount of scrutiny. Um, even with, you know, a really good upfront, you know, consistent reporting, financial reporting system. And I think about some of the businesses and business owners that I, that I talk to that just don't have that. I mean, I've talked with, Eight million dollar a year companies that didn't do monthly P and L statements, you know. And if if something happened in those that in that case it was two partners, they decided to split up or decided to sell or whatever. Trying to go back and recreate financial statements for an organization that size, and with an eight million dollar a year business, and the and the pandemic impact, um, three years is probably not enough. You're probably looking at four or five years back on financials. It'd be almost impossible to recreate all that from scratch. So it's really something that the folks have got to start thinking about now in terms of having that documentation, having those systems in place. You, and you're exactly right. If you're ever thinking about, you know, selling the business or having a business that's worth anything on paper, having those financials are 
are probably the most important in, in not mixing those financials with your personal financials as well is critical. So separating the business from your personal, separating it from, you know, your overall family income, separating it from a rental house that you also, you know, about three years ago that's on that same tax return or on that same profit loss report. That's all very critical because like you just said, I mean, we, we really dive deep and um, it's, it's an extensive process to get a, get a business across the finish line. You know, just finding the initial buyer isn't, I mean, doing the valuation and finding a buyer that's interested in purchasing a business the first time, I mean, that's just the first 10% of it. Yeah. It, it yeah. really was a lot deeper into actually getting across the finish line. So you're kind of talking about the timing of this whole process. Uh, in Aaron's case, it was really unique. He had kind of a ready buyer. He already had a valuation business valuation. It took him about six months to pull stuff together and, and close the deal. Um, I would imagine that in in cases where you don't have a ready buyer that you don't just look into like Aaron did, you could probably run easily much more than six months from the time you have the first conversation with a broker to the time the deal's actually closed. So yes, um, I, see. I mean, what's, what's relative? I know they vary a lot, but six months to a year, is that kind of a rough ballpark? If, if I were you to, yes, I would, I would put six months to a year on it without a doubt. I, I mean, that's going to, that's going to typically be your average price point. Say if you're in a really, really large business and I'm marketing the business, so it's getting a lot of exposure. I said a large business. I meant a larger city, a larger territory with a yeah. high population area. It's going to get a lot of exposure. I would say that that could potentially come down a little bit. Um, if you're in a rural market, you're kind of the only guy in town, and, um, you, you know, it could potentially go up a little bit as well and be closer to that year mark. It's not to say that just the opposite. You know, if, if it all goes back to how clean is the business, how clean are the financials, how justifiable is it, what are the profit margins, how, how soon can I pay this business off, um, you know, with the inventory that's in the business, the accounts receivable, the accounts payable, everything involved. I mean, it's, it's not just three variables that are taken into consideration. You know, it's, it's 50 different variables that are taken in. And um, we're typically studied by somebody that's not just the buyer, but someone else as yeah. well. That's the lender or whether that's the buyer CPA giving them financial advice on what they think. So, yeah, but overall, generally speaking, I would I would say six months to a year is a good time expectancy. So some of the things that a, a prospective seller can do to influence that time is to is to already have a lot of this documentation, these these systems to generate the the financial documents and the rest of it in place. Uh, have a CPA that's outside the company that's that's looking over these, making sure they're right, and then also making sure that you've got a business that is more sellable. It's a business that has not just doesn't have just the documentation, but it is a successful business. It's got a track record of success. Uh, one thing that was kind of interesting I, I hadn't heard of, Aaron said that when he sold that the, the lender actually wanted them to give, wanted him to give them a forecast for the next couple of years. Where was the business going to come from? Who were the builders? You know, how was all, you know, they wanted to understand 
what the buyer was going to end up, you know, what his, what his prospects looked like and what, um, you know, how, how feasible it was going to be for the buyer to maintain the business level, even grow the business. They wanted to know that much. So, you know, as a business owner, hopefully you're already doing that anyway, but just building a business and structuring it so that, um, when the seller moves out of the business, the business is still a viable entity. So designing your business to run that way. Um, Aaron literally wrote a book on, on how to, you know, do a job descriptions, roles, responsibilities, accountability for the individual roles within the business. That was a big, a big part of, of him convincing lenders that it was a, a well-run business. He had all that documentation pulled together. Who's been here? How long have they been here? What's their job? How do you know what they're doing? How do you measure it and track it? He had all that. So prepping your business from that perspective as well makes it easier for a buyer to to come in and, and assume control of that if if everything else works out right. It does. Yes, it does. I think one thing that helps me um, a lot to help get the business across the finish line is working with business lenders that they're there because they're all they do is analyze business transactions, right? So, I mean, these guys, they crunch the numbers on a business every single day and having someone like myself, like first choice that is, you know, continuing to send them business deals to develop those relationships and say, because whenever I do evaluation, I'll justify that valuation as well to them. Right. So now they, from a lending standpoint, whenever they take it to the underwriting process, have more confidence as well, especially in this industry where I have the knowledge and I have a little bit more feedback to give them because lenders can't be diverse in every single industry. Right. So that's where, that's where having a broker within the industry, I feel like really goes a long way because they go, you know, we've done a couple of transactions already and now they feel confident. And that's actually something that I, I will put in uh in the marketing documents that the business has been pre-approved by whether it be an SBA or you know, commercial lender at this price point. So now yeah. a buyer is able to say, this is fantastic. You know, who's who's Chase working with? Who's the lender? Um what is it? And it's it's everything to help that sales cycle go faster and also to you know, get across the finish line. Yeah, and you were talking about it's it's easier for you to sell a business when you and especially to value it, you feel more confident in selling it when the business owner is spending their day, you know, running the numbers on the business, analyzing the business, you know, that sort of thing. And the way I phrase that is is you've got a business owner who is spending their time working on the business rather than in the business. In other words, the business owner is is running the numbers and working on the business. They're not out templating. They're not out doing service calls or not selling. Doesn't mean they never do that. But if the business is always dependent on the owner to do the templates or to do all the CAD work, or that if the owner is the major salesperson, all the contractors, you know, know Bob personally, and that's all built on those personal relationships, that's tougher to value. It's tougher to sell. Because from a buyer's perspective, I mean, what I've always heard is buyers come in two flavors. Some buyers less more than the others, but some there are a few buyers wanting to buy a job. It's unusual, but they're wanting to buy a business that they get into, and they're doing all this working in the business stuff. Most buyers are looking to buy, say, a cash flow or something that doesn't consume all their time, but still turn you know puts out a, a good bit of cash. 
and they're trying to balance how much time they've got to spend in the business to keep it going to still generate the profit that has historically been done. Um, and so how well your business has been structured can have a big impact on, on what type of buyer you get, what they're willing to pay, the multiples, and how easy it is to actually make transaction close. Uh, and I would agree with that 100%. Yes. I mean, there's, in this industry, it's, uh, it's, it's very diverse. You know, there's those smaller shops that a guy can get into relatively inexpensive. And then there's also the, the very large businesses uh, that are exactly what you're saying. So I always, from a business selling standpoint, someone wants to come in and whenever they come to analyze the business, they want to see that it's a healthy business as well. Mm-hmm. And the business owner is not getting, you know, a million problems thrown in in their lap while they spend that time, especially from a a seller training standpoint. So just like you had mentioned, let's work on the business. Let's let's not work in the business. And we know in this industry, you know, you're going to have a template guy out. You're going to have an install guy out every once once in a while, and you're going to fill in that position. But hopefully you're in a position that you're able to, to work on the business Whenever it comes time to actually have that hire and you have a month's worth of seller training, it's really going to come out at that point, the, the true business. Whenever, you know, whenever you're doing seller training and they realize how much you're needed or how smooth the business is running. Yep. Yeah, it, becomes, it gets pretty real at that point for sure because they've, they've gotten their hands dirty, so to speak. So I think one of the takeaways for a, a, a shop owner that may be listening is, if you find that you're spending most of your time selling or templating or helping with installs or troubleshooting or whatever, then that's probably an indicator that you're going to struggle when it comes time to sell your business. It's going to, you're probably going to get a little bit less for it. It's going to be a little tougher to sell because the business is still so dependent on you. So part of the, I guess part of the, the takeaway for an owner that's listening is to start thinking about, all right, how do you set your business up? So you're not that long pole in the tent so that, and I think a good acid test is can you disappear for a week or two and not have to spend all your time on the telephone or on email, you know, taking care of problems back at the shop. If you can spend a week or two away from the business and not be constantly hammered with stuff like that, then then you probably got things. That's probably a good indication you got things set up pretty well. I would agree. Yep. Okay. I'm thinking about, you know, from the financial standpoint, pulling the documentation together, we talked about, if somebody's planning on selling a business, then they really got to start. If they want to sell five years from now, they really kind of got to start now making sure they've got the system set up to generate all that documentation, that financial information. What I'm thinking about is, all right, if you've got an owner who is consumed by the business, he's the head cat guy, you know, he's he's got to do all the troubleshooting on a problematic install, and he's thinking, okay, I'd really like to sell this business in about five years. Can he wait? And he's got a $3 million business. Can he wait a couple of years, start pulling financials together and making sure he's got, you know, three years of history? Is that sufficient or is there stuff he needs to start doing today to get ready to sell that business five or 10 years down the road? Yeah. So yeah, I, I would, uh, the sooner the better, right? But um, if, let's say for instance, if you had just two years of, of really good financials and one year was off would say that ultimately that business from a from a lending standpoint and from a valuation standpoint isn't going to be as high as if you had three solid years. A lot of times that will be based off of an average 
of those three years. So um, better, you know, having those trends, having upward trends, having the systems in place, having the key employees with, you know, with their job descriptions, having, having all of those things kind of uh, aligned is definitely going to be beneficial. So the sooner you get the better. But if you are, you know, at a point where you just have a couple of years of key financials, um, you, you, which you probably, uh, if you've been in business for longer than that two years, you know, you probably still have the tax returns, but it's just not going to be quite as detailed as the actual profit and loss statements of breaking the business down line item by line item saying, where is this, you know, where is, this income coming in, whether that be sinks, whether that be faucets, whether that's from installs, whether that's from, you know, square footage of material. Um, so just being able to analyze that business from a deeper level, I would say, uh, it, you know, would be as good as having it in full three to five years. Yeah, understood. Um, and that's, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make is that, okay, in, in a perfect world, we, we sit down and we make a plan. We say, okay, I want to, I want to sell this business in five years. I want to sell it in 10 years. And I already know what my, what I want to do afterwards. You know, when does that person start preparing? And I think the answer is you got to start today. Um, you, you need, you know, at least three, three years minimum of financials and, and preferably four or five with that longer track record, especially with COVID impact, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and then all the, the, the business internal processes that, make this an entity that stands separate from the owner. So it can be sold like a vehicle from one person to another person, and that person can take it and run it from there. Uh, so that, that preparation really has to start now, and that's, that's in a perfect world. Uh, you start making, you start that preparation today, you put together your game plan, you start working your game plan six months from now, you get a bad health diagnosis. Or you and your partner decide, you, you and your business partner decide this isn't working, you got to, you know, you got to buy each other out or something, or you go through a divorce. I mean, those other things can happen that you hadn't planned on. You got to start now being ready because you put your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. You need to, and you've gotten hopefully a good living out of it so far. And there are a lot of smaller businesses that make good money, but trying to pass that business off to another owner and still make that kind of money is tough because a lot of that profitability is based on the capability of the owner, the personality of the owner, reputation of the owner, and that's tough to transfer. And so while you may have made a good living in the business so far, you want to get more out of the out of the business when you leave it. You want it to give you something else out of that, some additional cash. You really got to start that preparation now, because if you wait, it, it could be too late through no fault of your own. Um, and even if, it, if nothing you know, untoward or unplanned happens, it still takes a while to get a business ready to sell. And so running your business with the mentality that one day you're going to sell it is really something to start doing today, I would think. Would that make sense? It's very important. Very important. I actually do a lot of valuations for partnerships because they aren't working out. And and they're at that point where they're like, Chase, we, we need to determine what our business is worth because we have to make a decision whether we're going to sell it together or one of us is going to buy each other out. So yeah. Starting today is very important. How many of those, I'm curious, how many of those partnerships you've looked at in their partnership agreement from day one, they already had a set of guidelines and a formula for how they were going to dissolve the partnership, that they actually set that up at day one. Do you run across that at all? 
Not too many. Yeah. I, I venture to say not too many. I mean, I, I think it's very important because, um, you know, partnerships are easy to get into and they're, they're much harder to get out of. So they, they go into the idea, yeah, let's start this business together. We both have a little bit of cash. It's going to help out uh, to get into the business. And then they get to a point where it's time to sell. And that's where the problems begin to begin to create. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a client right now that, uh, fortunately he and his partner are, are getting along fine, but they're in the process of, of buying out from a previous owner. And they, and it was two brothers and one of the brothers died. So now they got the wife involved, you know, and, and trying to figure out all those things is, is really a challenge. I've, uh, it's always, you know, it's the Stephen Covey, you know, seven habits for highly effective people. Uh, his, his, one of his popular sayings is begin with the end of mind. Uh, I've, I've been in a few business partnerships of my own and, and they are notoriously difficult to maintain for a lot of reasons. And the best advice I have always heard, and I, I try to share this with folks is if you want to start a business partnership with one or more partners, sit down on day one and figure out how you're going to end that partnership under what conditions, how you're going to evaluate, how you're going to split stuff up and put those together from day one. That in that exercise surfaces a lot of assumptions about what each partner wants out of the business that sometimes it's tough to get at it in other ways. Um, and I think um, I think that's a that's a really good thing for somebody who's got a business partner. Sit down and start talking about that now. Not that you want to end it now, but you got to be prepared for that because it won't last forever. Well, I think we've covered sales process uh, pretty well. The, the main takeaways are that this can be an involved process, can be a long process. Um, much more complicated than selling a house, and you've really got to start your preparation today on a lot of different fronts, the documentation, your internal business processes, your mindset for building this as something that can be transferred to somebody else, a lot of different aspects of that. I can imagine that in thinking through this, a listener may want to talk to to you, Chase, just to to get some additional idea, additional uh, information. They may even have some specific questions that we haven't answered here that they want to answer. How can they get in touch with you if they wanted to, to call you and ask any questions about this process? I I have those um, conversations all the time. I, I get I've gotten many calls within the industry specifically that are you know looking for this guidance. So. That, you know, that tells me this what we're doing is a great start and uh it's to help educate you know them on what to expect if they don't already know. So but um yeah, my my name is Chase Busenbark again. My my cell phone is five seven three six six four zero 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 two. And then my email address is just chase period busenbark at cbb dot com. That's Frank Charlie Business Business dot com. And uh be more than happy to talk with you about the, the entire process, what that looks like, what your business is um, potentially worth, and what's worth on today's market as well. So. Okay, super. Well, Chase, thanks again for, um, for being on another episode with us here. So that wraps up our second episode with Chase. Hopefully you found the information about the sales process interesting. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Our next and last episode with Chase, we will talk about some of the details of how your business gets valued in this process. We call that business valuation. And we'll also talk about some post-sale considerations. Until next time, happy fabricating.